All right. Hello, everybody. Looks like we're live. Welcome back to Way of the Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead. Very, very happy to be here with you. I have a very special show and in fact, a special week of shows as I'm going to be continuing this series on the serpent cults and all the other elements to it. And of course, covering Dr. Artis's theory on snake venom and so much more. And this has really developed since uh, the Watch the Water documentary has come out. Um, much more information is coming out. Dr. Artis has done a lot more interviews on the subject, clarifying a lot of points. We've seen a lot of blowback coming in. We're going to address some of that. And then we had, uh, it was actually a friend of mine that was attending a conference that Dr. Judy Mikovits is doing. She's doing a series of presentations. Um, she was actually supposed to join us for today's show, but she got stuck in transit coming back home. So we're going to postpone that show to either tomorrow or the day after. We'll work out those details. I can't wait to get her on to uh, discuss this because she has a, a bunch of bombshells to share. She'd like to also address a lot of the misunderstandings and criticisms, uh, which I think is really important in this process as we explore this. I'm sitting here as uh, somebody that does podcasting and a lot of research in the field. My contribution to this was discussing the ancient uh, symbolism, the esoteric side of things, uh, bringing in, we, we did an amazing show with my good friend, Josh Reed from the Red Pill Project to kick it off. Then I brought Dr. Artis on. I, I encourage you to go and watch that original interview because I believe it was uh, a really good summation uh, at that stage of where he was at. And then I brought my good friend Michael Tessarian on to do an epic four-hour podcast where he basically gave you the whole history of the world and also his reading of this theory, which he thought was very interesting and, uh, and he agreed with. And then I have since been looking at all the rebuttals, you know, the Pierre Corys, Dr. Kaufman's, et cetera, who have their points. So we'll, we'll get into some of that. But uh, today we're going to be doing, we're going to be bringing Dr. Artis in and also for the first time, documentary filmmaker, investigative journalist, Jonathan Otto. First time I've, I've met the man. He's actually there with Dr. Artis right now. They were doing some recording and it just happened to work out. So here we go. Let's bring both these gentlemen in. Make sure all my streams are going well. Hello to everybody here. Let's go. There's Dr. Artis. Good to see you, Brian. Welcome back. And Jonathan, first time. Welcome Hello. to both of you. It's great to see you. Well, yeah, let's, really great. Well, very good. Well, Jonathan, since it's the first time and it's my first time meeting you, why don't you give us a quick background um, and then we'll, uh, we'll start talking about this very fascinating subject. Awesome, man. So I'm an investigative journalist. I am a filmmaker. We've I've been producing films specifically in the area of health information, medical research, and our films have been seen and viewed by tens of millions of people over the past few years. There's a film that I was a producer on five years ago called The Truth About Vaccines. And in that film, we spoke about the fact that in 2020, there may come a time when mandatory vaccines for adults are being pushed. So we talked about that, you know, five years before it happened in that film, because of the healthy people 2020 campaign that was being advertised at the time. So there were things that we were trying to do to really be ahead. Uh, so my interest is in getting the truth out. I studied in Australia as an investigative journalist and then found myself covering humanitarian issues. So uh, in Australia, I received two awards from the Australian government for humanitarian contributions. So my interest in the future of humanity is really uh, the reason why I speak and why I do what I do, not for anything other than that. And so if we can put an end to people's suffering, then I'm, I'm in for that. So that's what this is about for me. 
That's great. And, and, and Brian, um, great to have you back. We've been texting and sharing information. I'm sure so much has happened since our last discussion. Um, were there any updates you wanted to share along with how you got connected with Jonathan? Uh, yeah, Jonathan, uh, I met him about six or seven months ago now at, a, at an event here in Dallas, Texas with the reawaken tour. And, uh, we really hit it off there and did some interviews surrounding remdesivir and my approach to trying to protect people staying away from hospitals where to me it was the death camps were set up by Anthony Fauci and the NIH in particular with the, the COVID protocols surrounding sedation drugs and to put people on vents along with remdesivir. So that's how we met originally. We did several interviews there. Now I've been lucky enough to have him in my home several times and uh, he's been able to stay with us and we've done some filming together. He's working on a project right now and I'm sure we'll do some filming while he's here. He, he just got here about an hour ago or so on his journey from doing another event, I believe in Austin or somewhere yeah. this weekend. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah he, he travels all over. The pleasure is all mine, Brian. I appreciate it so much. And I just appreciate your friendship and the person that you are. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, we appreciate David and allowing us to be on here. I'm sorry, Judy couldn't be here. Judy's been a huge supporter. Actually. She continues to uh, send me information and people continue to send me interviews of hers. Uh, for those who want to sneak peek probably on what she's going to talk about here. She did a, really long show with all the documents with uh pete santilli on his show and uh okay. it's titled dr brian artis was not wrong is <laughs> what it's titled when it comes to snake venom and the connection to, to uh, gain of function testing and creation when it comes to viruses so she's been a huge advocate uh, jonathan otto actually was a part of a uh, seven city tour through florida this last week and I was actually a part of the first four legs of that tour until some medical doctors had their feelings hurt that I was still invited after my controversial snake venom theory. Uh, and I was asked to not be participating in that. But Jonathan was there, was able to speak and continued to go and uh, was actually told me when he got here to the house that he, he was very excited to hear so many people still in my corner and very supportive, even from the stage and private. So it's just a very That's shocking really revelation and not a part of their reality for the last two years. And I knew it was going to be shocking to a lot of people, but uh, the truth had to be said. Exactly. Well, this is where I come in, where I've been covering every angle I could find for this past two years, as so many people have. And we all just want to know what the truth is, you know, and people have sort of become hardened in a way in their little camps of who their favorite guy out there is that is exposing it. And I've just been sitting here going, look, I want to take it all in. I understand that that's going to be the process of us trying to find out what the truth is. Jonathan, I'm sure you've done a lot of this just doing investigative journalism, you know, trying to weed out the things that don't make sense or just put them on the back burner for now until you get further validation and then information comes in and we just keep building this. In the end, the goal is we want to know what's really going on. We want to save lives. We want to identify what the uh, real issues are. And this in this sort of alternative sphere, although I'd say more, it's independent. It's a, it's all the mavericks, all the heretics that have been cast from the, the big mainstream view of everything. And then it's splintering into different theories, which to me is natural. It's natural that when we're looking at something like this, um, we're looking into a mystery here and everybody's going to have different angles. It's kind of like the elephant. Everybody's touching different parts of the elephant and they think they're touching it's something else than it really is. And this whole time you've had, you've been developing, well, I guess it's been a, about a four months or so that you had spent on it. Um, and then you started connecting these dots and then just went, well, let's put this out. And to see how many people 
kind of lost their shit over it was pretty fascinating to me because I'm like, don't we want to know about these things? I mean, even if the whole theory didn't pan out, why are, we're now learning about snake venom and just how much it's being used, the advanced nature of the technology with these snake venom peptides combined with nanotech and these other uh, elements of this research in both biological weapons. And also there's these companies that are using snake venom as in their advertising, at least as curative methods, things that we can do to help. So, you know, it's interesting that it's always kind of been in the background. And then Brian, you had shown in the last interview, how long, how far back into the whole pandemic we can go to show that the media has, has been telling this story the whole time. It just wasn't in everybody's face. And then you just kind of brought it all out and said, here's all the research. And, and now we're getting these responses. So um, the first thing I would like to maybe ask uh, Brian is, have you developed more information since? Are there any updates that you can give from the original Watch the Water, the interviews that you did with, uh, you've done so many, but are there anything new that is coming in or more support that you've started to gain from some of these other researchers? Yeah, I'll tell you, one of the exciting things for me was this. Uh, I, this has been a very emotional and spiritual and data-driven realization over the last four and a half months. But one of the things I never really went into to go look at uh, when I was going and circling around what other people may have actually been hinting to or finding out also the venom connection to COVID-19's origins, not only did I have the Chinese researchers saying that the spike protein was most identical to the Chinese crate snake and the Chinese king cobra snake in January of 2020, then the French researchers in April of 2020, they also said that it was crate snake venom, king cobra venom, and then rabies virus. These three things were most identical to the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. Uh, and then those researchers said, we should look at the fact that these two venoms from these two snakes bind to nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, which in humans and in prey actually cause respiratory paralysis. And maybe this is why smokers aren't showing up in COVID-19 wards as much. I mean, this is what they were surmising. When I was getting around to that, it came up very quickly that after the French study was published, there was this researcher doing source uh, gene sequencing at the University of Pittsburgh. His name was Bing Liu. He ended up being murdered right before holding a press conference that he announced he was going to do with the university about what they uncovered as the root and origin source for COVID-19. I never actually got to what that research was. I just got this horrible sinking feeling that that's why he was murdered. Was here in America, he was coming out with the same data that the Chinese researchers and the French researchers found was this snake venom connection. Well, just last week, I was asked to go on a podcast show with Diamond and Silk. And Diamond and Silk asked me to come on. And at the same time, I said, yes, let's do it. And then I want you to bring on Karen Kingston with me. And the four of us, Diamond and Silk, me and Karen Kingston, did this episode together for an hour. And Diamond and Silk really loved it because Karen Kingston could bring the data to confirm what I was saying about the origins of SARS-CoV-2 had a snake venom connection. What she had that I didn't know she had was early on when she was doing research onto the SARS-CoV-2 origins, she had put in the, a folder on her computer. She said she came across Bing Liu's research at the University of Pittsburgh in May of 2020, and it actually said that from moderate to severe outcomes of COVID-19 hospitalized patients, 
there was this recognized uh, SARS-CoV-2 origin of cobra toxin and, and Chinese crate snake venom to the spike protein that was causing higher death rates and hospitalizations from COVID-19 infected patients. And it was Bing Lu's research. She had put that in a research folder on her computer. And when she saw my documentary, she was like, wait, I actually have a snake venom folder. She just put it there, not knowing she would ever go back to it. This is when we discussed it on Diamond and Silk, that this is what they found uh, in Bing Lu's research was that deaths occurring from COVID-19 in hospitalized patients, they were finding this SARS-CoV-2 sequence most identical to cobra toxin and bungaro toxin, which was Chinese crate snake venom. So it was great for Diamond and Silk to see that this lady had that information. I never took the time to even go find it, but Karen Kingston actually had it. It was very cool to actually go through that. So now me and her, Karen Kingston, this week are going to do our own interview where I'm going to have her take our audiences through all the documentation in that article, which will be exciting. This is just another one of those things that was exciting to me because what got me to go over the edge to bring this to the masses was, as I shared in that documentary with Stu Peters, was I broke open a fortune cookie. And on the back of the fortune cookie was Bing Lu's name. And it just mm. literally was like a God moment for me, a spiritual moment where it was, you have to go tell the world Bing Lu didn't have a chance. It's time for you to bring a justification to what he was working on. Wow. That's incredible. And and just for people that don't know who Karen Kingston is, um, she used to work, I think as an independent contractor or researcher for, and she worked with some of these pharmaceutical companies. She does. Yep. With Pfizer, particularly back in Pfizer. the day. Yep. So she comes with that knowledge and um, my my friend Josh Reed has interviewed her and he said, yeah, she's basically got like a photographic memory, man. She just goes and she's got the data. So the data driven element and it's go it's good to data. see. Yeah, there's more people coming through. And when I was texting with uh, Dr. Mikovits, she was telling me, she said she, she was she's like, I have to address some of these criticisms, you know, from Dr. Kaufman and, and some of these other doctors. She said, uh, but it, it's going to be better that I do it later in the week because uh, I won't be as calm about it today. I'll be much calmer in my response. <laughs> so there seems to have been, you know, obviously we're going to get some robust uh, scientific debate here, which is what we need, right? Um, but are there any, you've probably been looking at some of these criticisms um, and do you have any, I don't know if you saw, I know Dr. Kaufman had put up on his site, you know, the straight truth on snake venom claims. He's, uh, it's interesting to me that people that come from the no virus exists camp wouldn't be interested at looking at what you've got in a deeper way. They seem to be targeting just one element of each thing you've brought up. But when you look at the totality of the evidence, you can't ignore that there's an, el there's something here that we have to explore and that this is, this is related to COVID-19, but it's also, I'm finding out just personally looking into some of these companies and what they're doing. Uh, you sent me the Orpheix one. Venom Tech, um, what's the other one? There's a Gene and Tech. Gene these and companies, tech. when you get into these companies, you just go, "Oh my God!" I don't think the world knows just how advanced and sophisticated this kind of research, working with these venoms, is, and just how much of it is already in a lot of our pharmaceutical products and pesticides and God knows what else. So um, I guess I'm throwing a lot at you, but let's just start with some of the criticisms that you've gotten. Um, did you have any points that you wanted to bring up uh, to defend what you're what you're talking about, Brian, with that or anything you want to address to some of the skeptics that are out there right now? Yeah, there's actually been uh, people that are sending me videos from around the world saying uh, the people like Andrew Kaufman, who are actually saying there is no virus theory out there. 
that this should support their viewpoint <laughs> that there's venom that I'm saying there's venom peptides that are triggering this whole thing being used as weapons to actually cause mass harm, death, even in these shots, probably. And uh, that this would actually fit along with his no virus theory. And, and that's fine. Uh, I actually did not bring this out thinking I was going to get a whole bunch of people in the viruses don't exist camp to be in my side and be excited about it. But there has been a whole bunch of people excited about it. Like, finally, we've been telling you, is what I hear from a lot of people. We've been telling you there's no virus anyway. And this fits perfectly into that realm, which is good. Uh, Andrew Kaufman, I don't know really what his deal might be. I, I do wonder if a lot of people who are having an immediate knee-jerk reaction to not want to look at it is possibly because it affects maybe their following or maybe what they've been speaking on as a reality in their mind. I don't know what it is, uh, but you might want to go look at it because the more you look at it, uh, you just have to understand it's really weird to me to not want to look because every side effect of COVID-19 can be explained with venom. Every death and side effect from the mRNA vaccines can be explained with venom, <laughs> but they haven't been able to find anything else to actually solidify that this could be a concrete reason why we're having and seeing all these mysterious, odd, uh, complex side effects. But right, once you look right. at venom and you put that lens on, it becomes very clear that you're looking at a worldwide envenomation. And it doesn't matter where people are getting hung up on. My goal was to make sure everybody was aware of what the weapon is becoming very clear to me is that none of us have been looking at. We have been led to believe to look at a different narrative, which was, in my opinion, a respiratory virus uh, that uh, couldn't have done this on its own without having either venom tied to the virus, like the spike protein we've been told by two genetics groups in China and in France, that looked most like venoms of two snakes. Or in my case, where I said, I believe they're just doing it in the water and you're drinking it. Companies like Venom Tech that you just mentioned, they've already confirmed they can deliver through water snake venom peptides and get it into your bloodstream. And uh, those can be very dangerous. So what I've learned from Jonathan Otto, which is great he's on this show, was he flew to my house Easter weekend, didn't even go home to Puerto Rico, came to our house for like three days to talk about the stuff that was brought up to his memory and recall about the weaponizing of venom that he knew about from the seventies. And I, I didn't even know about yeah. this. So it was really great to watch him come to light and go, Holy cow. If they knew this stuff was available back in the seventies, how far do you think advanced is weaponizing venom uh, 50 years later? Uh, and it was, and it actually fits right in line with what we were learning from the Italy study with COVID-19 patients and 20 different venoms from snakes being found inside of their poop, urine, and blood, and then uh, another 16 shellfish venoms from snails and starfish inside of uh, COVID-19 patients. And these have been weaponized for years. I just didn't know it. So Jonathan, he was, he's been a wealth of knowledge and encouragement. And what was interesting was he had a knee-jerk knee reaction too to my documentary. He's like, what? No way. <laughs> no way. But it was interesting that Jonathan said, the wording I used that triggered his memory and recall was the word poison. I said snake venom poisoning. And uh, he goes, when you said poisoning, I was like, wait a minute. I remember something from the 70s. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was very interesting that that triggered him. I've had people write to me and go, uh, he shouldn't use the word poisoning in his interviews. That's the wrong word when it comes to snake venom. And I'm like, well, well for lay people, they get it. <laughs> This is putting something that doesn't belong right. inside of your body. We call that poisoning. And it uh, it actually does a good job, I think, descriptively getting the point across.
Well, that's a great, and this whole, just so people know, this interview is very um, spontaneous. It happened 20 minutes before going on the air that Jonathan just so happened to be there working with you. So I'd love to get Jonathan's take really quickly though. I just want to remind people, I looked up on the etymological dictionary, the word virus. And if you go to any etymological dictionary and you look at the origin of it, they'll tell you that the root words for virus in Latin, Greek, and even in Sanskrit are connected to two words, poison and venom. And I found that to be very interesting. So just thinking about the origin of that, um, it, it just makes you start to think, are a lot of these viruses uh, synthetically manufactured and, and introduced in various ways? And we can talk a little bit about some different theories on the delivery mechanisms, because I think that's where people get their, their the imagination of, of how they're trying to visualize this is what's incorrect, which is why they're sure. just not looking at it. But Jonathan, tell us your story, man. How was it for you hearing, you watch Watch the Water, you know Brian, and then you had this triggering of the fact that you'd already been looking into this stuff. Tell us your journey with this thesis. Yeah, absolutely. My, my mind and my heart was on these fragile, you know, these incredible, amazing, innocent people that had taken these shots, children. And that was just burning into, into me in terms of look at the experience these people are under. And so like that was the first piece for me. And I think that's the place where everyone needs to start because uh, what should I think motivate all of us to look under certain rocks is love. Uh, love kind of for me was what was kind of pushing me to say, I would like to find out what they did this to you. And because I believe that if I could find that out, perhaps I could help. And so I remember it was... It was like two months ago when before Dr. Artis had released this information that he just mentioned the word poison. And that was when my mind went to this 1975 congressional hearing. So this is video footage and I don't mind showing it or I can just reference it and explain what happened. It was the director of the CIA, William Colby, that was showing that they had developed a weapon that could give people heart attacks without people even knowing that they'd been hit by this weapon, which was a frozen dart of shellfish poison that would trigger a heart attack. And so this 1975 hearing, I remember, was very shocking to me. And I'd researched actually who was even behind the, the finding of this venom or weapon. And it was a woman named Mary Embry. She was only 18 at the time when she worked for the CIA. And she was tasked with find something that can trigger a heart attack and be untraceable. And she said, I did discover this, this uh, thing, which we believe that it is most likely to be what would be classed now as a conotoxin. But in the Senate, in the, it was a Senate hearing, it was a congressional hearing with the Senator Frank Church overseeing it. So it was called the Church Committee. And in this, all of this information is disclosed and they show the weapon, how it works, and that it can shoot even 100 meters. Uh, it, you can't hear the gunfire. It's a frozen uh, water with so ice with the poison inside so when it dissolves it's not like you have like a dart inside you that you know what happened to you it dissolves it melts, so you don't right? know what happened right exactly yeah. and and they disclosed that as they were going through their their labs inside of this uh cia lab laboratory by the way this is called some something called mk ultra and that was disclosed. This is a particular project under MK Ultra called M MK Naomi. And 
They say in this Senate hearing on video recording, we, we discovered 19 different poisons and venoms, including cobra venom. They said 19. 19 is the number. Interesting number there. Yeah. Keep that in yep. mind, folks. Yeah. And on top of that, they were using approximately a third of all shellfish toxin that was available. The CIA had possession of it. Uh, it was still only like a couple of handfuls of, you know, of grams of it. But to have basically a third of the supply on the market was showing that it was more than what you'd expect if they were just trying to target a few leaders, like they were saying, like maybe this was to take out Fidel Castro or something like this. But, but when, if you understand what happened with MK ultra, the scientists that were working for the CIA, many of them were deeply troubled by what they were discovering that they were a part of. One of such people was a man named Eric Olson. Does this, anyone know who this person is? No, Eric Olson. So he was CIA. Is he, did he come out and yeah, tell us this? Yeah, story? yeah, sure. So Eric Olson, sorry, was the son. Frank Olson was the father. And okay. Frank was a CIA scientist that failed the uh, truth serum test. Uh, the truth serum test was being done, but it was with LSD. And so he was drugged uh, and asked of what would he do with the information that was revealed to him. And he just watched this Protestant Reformation film called uh, Luther. And he'd watched it like the weekend before. And he quoted from the movie and he said, here I stand, I can, sorry, one second. He said, here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God. He quotes from the movie He's saying, I will not budge on this. I cannot be a part of a, what was something to do with germ warfare. If you understand what what was happening at that time, the scientists were being being recruited into something that was connected to germ warfare. Soldiers that were captured in China were on air publicizing the fact that they were a part of germ warfare. It was killing uh, innocent people. They were releasing biological agents into the into whatever mechanisms they were, and they felt deeply grieved. And they said, "I wasn't. I didn't come here to kill innocent people." And they were saying this. Uh, then some would say, well, well they came, when they came back to America, they denied. They said that they were just doing this under duress. It, they didn't mean what they said. But, um, but these were the issues that were coming out. Reagan paid the Olson family $800,000, dollars $850,000 in the suit that was won against them because this man, uh, Frank Olson, went uh, diving or jumping or flying out of a window and died um, after said test, there's a documentary on Netflix called Wormwood. And it's a very sad story and how it really ruined this family's life and how it was the morality of a scientist that was not willing to be part of germ warfare. Um, largely, if you want to put all the story together of what, what was being revealed, uh, this was the tragedy of what was happening. And so if you understand that this was building up, it was between 1952 and 1975 that these weapons were being developed. And it was all a part of uh, this huge... Uh, push for biological weapons that basically could be released and put on you know, people worldwide, including uh, upon their own civilians. And MK Ultra was fined many, many times, or the CIA for the MK Ultra mind control experiments by American citizens and Canadian citizens. And it's just horrific, right? So yeah, that's that's kind of my take on that. And why this then became important to understanding how the puzzle pieces and what this means for how these technologies have been proven to exist and 
Yeah, and I can show you as we go in, uh, the Department of Justice has, has even talked about the threat of conotoxins and what, what this will mean biologic, uh, for biological weapons and terrorism. So really? very interesting. Yeah. So they're talking. So you're so okay. So we got the CIA. That you're talking about the heart attack gun, and Brian and I talked about that in the last interview. And I got to just tell you, like, if I walked up to the average person right now and said, "Hey guys, are you aware that the CIA has invented a gun that shoots a frozen dart into your body? It dissolves instantly, and it causes you to have a heart attack, and nobody be able to diagnose that you were actually shot with a weapon." Uh, I think a lot of people would find that to be far out, yet they were doing this as far back as, what was it, the 60s you were saying, or the 70s? Yeah, 1952 70s? to 1975. Oh, the whole that. project. So, yeah. And that's only one, probably one element that was brought out and brought in front of a congressional hearing. And then you had these, you can just imagine how deep that rabbit hole really goes. And now you've got some whistleblowers coming out. Um, and there have been many over time. I mean, I've, I was pointing out that book by Victor Marchetti, where he was trying to talk about sort of this uh, this dark cult that was within the CIA that he had discovered, or there was some basically he he brought it out. He called it the cult of intelligence, and uh, they had it was the first book that was censored by Congress before publication in America. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting thing. So there's been these little hints that we've had getting behind the door to see that there has been corruption within the different intelligence agencies the pharmaceutical industry, the, the intelligence agencies connect into the pharmaceutical industries. Of course, the pharmaceutical lobby being the biggest lobby in America and really anywhere in the world. Um, you know, they outspend oil and gas two to one. And a lot of people know about this. And to get into the picture, this is the research that I was doing. But when Dr. Artis dropped his bombshell, it got my wheels turning just from what I had already been looking at in terms of their symbolism, the way they operate a lot of these classified projects that were coming out. And, and that's where I started to say, okay, we know at least that there's, it's a way bigger picture than the public can probably even imagine at this point. And so Dr. Artist, do you kind of feel in a way that you've almost, you almost, it's serendipitous. It's, it's, it's the God thing like you're talking about. It's meant to be, but in a way you sort of tripped into this and, and now you're just revealing what you know. And what's amazing, what, which is what I was hoping would happen is you would get other people coming in like Jonathan and Judy, and we're going to try to get David Martin on with you as well, because he's got some interesting stuff to talk about, um, to bring it, bring all these pieces out. And, and my goal here is that let's not get all caught up on some of these details. Let's just open this door and find out how advanced this is, what they're doing, how this works, and is there a relationship to what we've just gone through in the last two years to what's been going on since the 50s in these types of uh, military research programs. It's just stunning. What, what do you uh, have to add to that, Dr. Artis? Yeah, the stunning secrecy amount of criminality, the massive amount of evil, like the word evil keeps coming up to me, like the idea yeah. to weaponize venoms and, uh, and kill people with it. Gain of function testing by itself just seems very evil uh, to find out the Wuhan lab and the bat lady were at, at Wuhan. She said in the congressional hearings here, <laughs> with security detail I interviewed for myself. They said, the bad lady said, they take their gain of function testing pathogens, they put it in water and freeze it, chop it up into ice cubes and go deliver it to a community they have selected to inflict with the pathogen. And they drink it and then they take their vaccines to go save them. That's how they practice out their mini pandemics with their gain of function testing. 
They did it with ice. Wow. And then we're learning that since the 70s, they actually could, per this congressional hearing, they could take king cobra venom and a shellfish toxin, put it in water and freeze it, and then shoot it even 100 meters possibly from a gun you can't hear. And it's so thin it will go into your body and melt and drop you in three minutes or less from a heart attack. Uh, it's pretty crazy how evil this becomes. And uh, it was really fun talking on the last show. One of the reasons why I thought Jonathan would like this too is he's aware of the evil side in relationship to the religious side, in my viewpoint, in uh, in the aspects of COVID-19 and worldwide. And uh, I mentioned to him that you heard of my interview where you're riding on the riding on your lawnmower tractor or you're cutting the grass. I was trying to cut the grass and I had to stop. I'm like, I have to take some notes. What's this stuff about Mithraic cults and Draco stars and the, oh my God. Yeah. It was very fun to do that interview with you. And Jonathan can jump on that with you because he's all over it too. He loves the symbolism and the religious side of this and the evil side. And it's just something that I, I can't tolerate people being lied to and that lie leading to physical harm or death that I don't, mm. I don't understand why I, I don't have any tolerance for that, but, uh, but I do, I absolutely have zero tolerance for physical harm and death coming and human beings being able to lie about that. To me, I just can't picture anything more evil and the idea that these shots like per my interview with Dr. Jane Ruby and the doctor out of South Africa that we did last week, where they found evidence of snake venom in the Pfizer shots and in her patients after getting the shots. You think I'm okay with the FDA just this week saying we're going to now inject these shots into six month old Americans uh, come the first of June? No, there's we're no having the same way thing here. I'm okay with this. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I just, as you said it, I'm just furious inside because we got Trudeau, who, you know, as you were saying, uh, Jonathan, that they were maybe trying to plan a way to take out Castro with this thing. I kind of mm-hmm. wish maybe they would have succeeded because then we wouldn't be dealing with Trudeau in Canada. Sort of an inside joke. Anyways. Um, no, no, no. I follow you. But you got but, that. The web, but the web is so much deeper that uh, oh, that's sure. exactly that's exactly what they want you to think. But anyway, go ahead. Right. Oh, yeah. Let's we'll get into it. And I want to pick your brain about the dark, the occult side of it, too. Um, but what you're saying, Dr. Art, so you just said something there. You did a show where they've actually tested Pfizer shots and have been finding this stuff. And I mean, isn't that enough to give people pause? Okay, you let's have think. a moratorium. Let's look at it all. Let's put it on the table. We're about to inject babies and kids with this stuff. We've already been against this because of the fact that there was just what we knew originally. There was no long-term safety. We were already having these incidents of injury and death. Um, and they're just denying it. Remember, they took the uh, swine flu vaccine off the market after I think it killed under 100 people. And here we are with actually a situation where because of all of the chicanery going on with the media and with NIH and the way they're reporting, the CDC, that they're trying to say none of the reporting systems like VAERS or the other ones that we actually do use ourselves, none of them are to be trusted. Uh, there's no way there's that many deaths, whereas me- many others are saying, no, no, those are underreporting the problem. And yeah, in Canada, their Trudeau just came out and he's, he does this weird, creepy thing where he comes on the news and he goes, can all the parents leave the room so I can talk to your kids? Hey, kids, I know you're excited to get the vaccine. Just hold on a little bit longer and then you can get your special shot. And I just it's I can't even hear the guy talk anymore. I'm so furious about this. Mm. That's creepy. It's creepy. There's a lot of creepy right. stuff with this whole thing. And I think Thank that's you. also do you think that maybe an element of everybody's knee jerk reaction to this is just because I was talking with you about this, Brian, about we were texting. 
This brings up the question of evil, doesn't it? On a totally different level. I mean, we're not just talking about a little bit of corruption or maybe some guys got it wrong or some malpractice. <laughs> this is If they're envenomating the entire population and plan this for decades and have been developing biological weapons like this uh, with an intent to use and test on the public in order to generate vaccines and profit. I mean, that, I don't know if there's a Bond movie that would even come close to saying, talking about that as that level of evil that we're dealing with, right? So is it, could be some of this, and either one of you can respond, is some of this reaction just simply because people don't want this to be true? Yeah, let me, t let me explain that actually, because I am convinced that uh, there's a few things, two things I want to mention. You know, I've heard before that when you go to family dinners or holidays, don't bring up politics or religion, <laughs> you know, right. like don't, don't bring up politics and religion. It's too polarizing, Whatever. I also said for years, there's three things, actually. Don't bring up politics, religion, or vaccines. Now oh, I think there's true. a fourth thing that's very polarizing. I think I think it's religion, politics, vaccines, and snake venom. I think we're not allowed to talk about that. Like, it's just too polarizing. That's number one. Number two, I really do think the immediate reaction is this. I really do think there's a level of evil we are okay admitting to or being visually, auditorily okay to look at or listen to. And, and, and above there, we want to just resist it. For example, I live in Dallas, Texas. I was at an event at a leadership conference. And I remember this lady sitting next to me who wanted to create a documentary. And I asked her, I said, what are you doing here? And she goes, I work with the sheriff's department here in Dallas. And I said, okay, what do you specialize in? And she goes, sex trafficking of children. And I went just like this, there's sex trafficking in Dallas of children. And she goes, yes, it's one of the biggest hubs in all of the country. And I went like this, are you like the only one in the sheriff's department here in Dallas, Texas that does that? And she goes, no, we have 12 full-time officers dedicated just to that. And I went like this, there's enough sex trafficking of children in Dallas to keep 12 of you occupied. And she goes, no, we need like twice as many, maybe three times wow. as many. It's that big of a deal. It, what was interesting is, is people don't want to listen to her that there's this reality in Dallas. So she wanted to go create a documentary because she's having a hard time getting people to admit that there is sex trafficking of children going on in your neighborhood here in Dallas. And they're getting a hard time getting people to show up at events, do fundraising for them to help them. It's just this thing that people don't want to look at. And I think uh, yeah. people that have a hard time trying to get people to look at sex trafficking of children organ harvesting of children in Asia, the same people that are struggling to get governments and grassroots movements of people to just look at it. Uh, they're probably just as frustrating as some of the people who are accepting of me and my revelations about venom being the actual weapon surrounding COVID-19. I think there's this level of evil people are okay with. And then I think there's a shutoff valve that people don't want to look. Um, you know, it's kind of like me with horror films. My kids like thriller, pop-up thriller movies. But if it gets to gore, I don't even want to watch it. I have no interest. Yeah. I, I just walk out of the room. To me, I think people do not want to conceptualize that human beings in corporations are actually putting snake venom in shots and injecting it into children and adults. Like it's just too far evil. Really? Uh, I, I don't know why you're not willing to look there. We already have at least... Per Dr. Peter McCullough, his estimates are 450,000 people have died in America from the shots alone, all age groups, like in the first two weeks of getting the shots. You don't want to look at the possibility there's something deadly or dangerous.
inside those shots. We had 45,000 dead just in the CMS group in June of 2021. In CMS data, 45,000 dead in the first two weeks after getting the shots. 80% are in the first seven days. The, the first 50% are in the first 48 hours, the first two days after the shots. Guess what else kills people within 48 hours? Snake vipers, vipers who bite their victims. The majority of them die in the first 48 hours. Just like the shots. Why aren't you willing to look at it? They've been doing snake venom drug creations, calling them therapeutics for the last 50 years. You didn't even know it. Everyone on high blood pressure drug right now called lisinopril, you're, you're swallowing snake venom every day. Made by Merck. You didn't even know it. But you're, you're doing it. You have no idea. Uh, Sherry Tempany did an article she wrote two weeks ago after my thing dropped. She, it's titled Smoking Out the Snakes. And it was just about the fact that if my information didn't do anything but this, it actually brought an awareness to the world at the massive amount of pharmaceutical complex and manufacturing facilities that are doing snake venom research to create cancer drugs, supposedly, uh, viral drugs, blood pressure drugs. The amount of snake venom, none of y'all even knew that that was a major, major part, if not the biggest part of that billion dollar <laughs> complex. The irony of that, Brian, is that people that are rebutting you are saying, oh, but look, there's, there's snake venoms used in medications. But it's not even until this happened that I, I would practically guarantee with the majority of those people, they weren't aware of this up until this. So then it became part of the fact checking. And so we're all like now, you know, contending with this information as if as if we all knew that this was the case. Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't know. I, I, I mean... <laughs> It didn't surprise me, to be honest with you. I, I wasn't like, because I kind of, I have the whole sketch of the history of these pharmaceutical companies and this whole medical industrial complex going right back to the Rockefeller syndicate and before. We all kind of have a sketch of that history. Um, I grew up reading people like Eustace Mullins and whatnot, who was kind of pulling all these details out. So I, I, I knew we were dealing with something that was very corrupt and, and criminally organized. Um, and then, yeah, you bring in evil. It's absolutely evil because it's the opposition of life. Right. And mm. there's we forgetting the I think where people also stumble. It's the number one thing you're going to get when you talk about any kind of, let's just say, conspiracy or or cover up or criminal activity going on um, is people are always like, well, why? Why would they do this to us? Why would they poison us with snake venom? Why would they? That's just ridiculous because I wouldn't do that. I can't even conceptualize it. So why the hell would somebody else do it? And it's a stumbling block that a lot of people have to any kind of subject related to this, let alone when we start getting very specific, that can be very highly traumatizing for people, right? Um, yeah. But Jonathan, what do you think about sure. this, all this stuff? Oh, yeah, no, I think that what you're talking about right now, I don't think that people have any idea of the real reasons why these things have been perpetuated and why generally the majority of the public won't raise their voice against something like this. I think it's deeper than, uh, than what you're speaking about in the sense that um, is it because somebody simply feels that that is so evil, I wouldn't do that, therefore I'm not going to consider it and I'm going to write it off. I actually don't buy that for me. And I would say that with every single person that has put forward these types of things or pushed back on you like that, how aware, how aware do you think these people are of their shadow? Like how interesting, right? Yeah. How aware are they of their shadow? 
most likely right? not very. Yeah. Yeah. And so do they even know what they would be capable of in a position of power? Uh, the people that were conscripted or volunteered for various wars and world wars, World War II, uh, the soldiers that, without being commanded to, tortured relentlessly, uh, you know, people, uh, these types of things. Do you think that any of them had a thought, oh, this is what I'm going to do one day when I grow up? I'm going to be like somebody that would torture someone relentlessly. And, and, and you know, in a, this was done to innocent civilians, not even just people that you had a vendetta against. Right. Uh, uh, okay, so then what I'm saying is people, all of us have no idea of what what, capa what we're capable of. Uh, this was Ted Bundy's biggest warning for the world just before he was electrocuted. Uh, he, in his last interview, no one talks about this, but his last interview, the electric chair is being tested so the lights are going out during the interview. He doesn't ask to be taken off his sentence. He says that he's not. he, he can see why he cannot be allowed back into public. Uh, he talks about largely healing through the love of God. He actually talks about this. And in the same interview, he says, there are, there are millions of people out there like me. Uh, he said, because, because we're a product of the things that we've filled our hearts and minds with. He said that being exposed to, in his case, pornography and violence and associating these two things together then created an appetite for these things. So that's just one example. But the violence that is in films, uh, when you look at, I use Jurassic Park films as an example. Tell me what does someone have to be worthy of to be eaten by a dinosaur, to have their life taken from them, to die a torturous and bloody death? What is, what is it that makes them worthy of such a horrible death? Look at the character flaws of every character that gets picked off one by one in these movies. What do you have to be, like overweight? Notice they, they, they always get eaten. If you're greedy... They will, they will highlight these characteristics in the character and then you will completely justify seeing this person meet a miserable end. Um, mm. if, if you're rude, if you are money hungry and you are you know, morally bankrupt and you, it just keeps going. And so you see all these bloody acts. The worse the, worse the sin is of the individual, the greater the, crime, the, the, the violence has to be against them. So what I'm saying is people have, I think a lot of people come from a sacrificial perspective in life without realizing. And so that because that underpins violence, you know, we just see it regularly in films. It's not, not a big deal. It, it should be a big deal. And it shows that they're every the people our, our own soul is tormented and we we are okay with evils being perpetuated and that the more we get out of that and the more loving we become and the more we we the more merciful we become then we actually can speak about things like this and see the great evils are being perpetuated because we're actually more aware of our shadow the fact that this is in us i i know that i could be capable of really evil things and and because of that i i choose good and i and i navigate these types of things but i think people need to consider these things I like how you brought it down to the personal level of being aware of the shadow. And, and it was a quote that I've referenced a lot from Solzhenitsyn, who I picked up a lot of him, like I was reading a lot of his work during, during COVID, uh, because a lot of what was going on really started to sound familiar to me. And when I started reading, he had a book, which was a collection of talks that he did when he came to America after the fall of the Soviet Union. And he was basically, it was called A Warning to the West. And he was trying to warn America about the fact that what happened in the Soviet Union is coming to America if people don't realize what's going on. And he, there was always a question that was asked to him, you know, do you hate the people that put you in the gulags? Um, how, you know, it, 
who were the bad guys, who were the good guys, you know, those kind of basic questions. And he just looked back and he said, look, it'd be nice if we could just point the finger at one group of people and just eradicate them if they were the evil ones. But the problem is, is that good and evil strikes through the heart of every human being. So human beings are, are we all have potential in, 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 because we have free will. Um, and we are, we're in a duality of both light and darkness, good and evil, up and down, you know, et cetera, that that courses through all of us. And one theory we've talked about a lot on, on this podcast, but mostly on the unslaved podcast is the idea of, of trauma. Uh, so the idea of that there was past trauma that traumatized the human psyche. It just from all, just think of all the wars, all the possible floods and cometary disasters or however people want to look at it. And then think about what trauma, deep trauma can do to an individual just in their own everyday life and how that can steer them towards the dark side of the force. Let's just keep it simple. And this is where we can start to get the profile of criminology, criminal behavior. I love that you brought it there because this isn't just, oh, it's them. It's us good guys versus them bad guys. And it's just, a, it's, it's a very simple way to look at it. Um, it actually does make more sense if we understand that human nature is we can be anything. And if you now add into that all this MK Ultra, the media propaganda, the programming, the uprate, the whole thing, um, they've been looking into ways that they can literally program human beings to think in certain ways and to not think in other ways. And when you're compartmentalizing your thinking, you're more of a victim to that shadow because you don't even have the faculties left to be able to fight that off, so to speak. So I, dude, we could do a whole show on like, this is great stuff. The history of evil, how it, how it works. Fascinating that you brought it up. Dr. Artis, did you have anything on that you want to add? No, the last time Jonathan was here in my home a couple of weeks ago, it was very enlightening. Actually, he's like, you have to understand that we have, we as a human being, we have a soul, a spirit. And as we do things that are sinful, we will actually take the impressions of darkness on us we feel guilt. We feel shame. And then when we watch these people in different shows, uh, they're, we're actually acting out like, yes, they, they need to be sacrificed and tortured, taken out because we personally feel that that same kind of vindication needs to be carried out on us as we have created our own separation one sin after another from God. I thought it was a great perspective, actually. And uh, he got into the how it is that elitists around the world and you can get into the occult side of this, David and Jonathan, but he talked about those who orchestrate wars are really just using young men and women as sacrifices. They're, they're using them as child sacrifice to try to save their own souls from the sins that they're carrying, right? They're just using them as a tool to try to, as we use watching movies, as we used to probably fill up the Coliseum to watch gladiators kill each other, we we would watch these things uh, and glorify them uh, as ways of uh, you know proxying our own selves and our own salvation and our own forgiveness for our own sins. It was a very very cool way of of looking at it. Wow. Well, yeah, that that's huge because um, we've the ritual nature of things. I think people underestimate it. I mean, even just the ritual nature of how this whole pandemic came to be with a sort of a mock test with this event 201, uh, you know, the dates of certain things people have looked at. That's interesting, seeing that a lot of this seemed to have been whistleblown in a lot of movies and shows like this. You brought that up right away. I was like, oh, I love I love Brian already for this. Just even the fact that you were referencing the fact that, hey, Look at this episode over here of something you're watching every day. 
and they're telling you the story. And I actually believe that they, this is part of their, the way they think these types of people, they believe they have to disclose what they're doing in the same way that maybe a Ted Bundy or a serial killer will tell his victim how they're going to torture it, what he's going to do. Um, the, you know, Zodiac killer leaving all these clues and having this little intellectual battle with the detectives trying to track them down. There's this sort of cat and mouse, uh, predator versus prey type of thing that happens. And then if, if you realize that a lot of these types of people at the very top, I'm not talking about everybody, but at the top, uh, I believe a lot of these people are very much into the world of the dark occult. Um, they, this goes back into ancient history. And so they're practicing their religion in the same way that anybody else would practice theirs. They have a belief system that's creating the worldview and then the actions that are based off that worldview. That's sort of one simple way to help explain this to people. Um, and so Jonathan, feel free to chime in. Yeah. My, my, right before we do, I just want to add the last caveat, which would be when people ask me the why, I have my own answer, but I like to leave people with that question actually and say that question, the why people would do this, why, the, the question of evil is actually what woke me up. It wasn't the answer. It was the question that got me to go, I want to learn more about this. And then I got into criminology and things like that um, because I think that that's part of the journey. I couldn't tell you if I tried that it might make sense in the beginning, but you have to experience going down the path of having that question motivate you enough to go and look into some of these dark corridors to try to find out the truth about it. And it is that process that helps you learn the truth about it. But what do you think about that, Jonathan? Yeah, no, David, I, I, like, I mean, these are profound thoughts. And to me, I just get so excited hearing, hearing this conversation, uh, hearing both of you speak, David and Brian, it just, to me is incredible because we have, we have so much going on that it, it would make so much sense for all of us, the three of us to be talking about how angry we are at these elites, quote unquote, which aren't so elite because it's very debased what these things, people are doing. It's not, not really the right word, right? So let's call them the debased, right? So what the debased they're doing is very dark and we could spend our whole time like railing against them and premeditating in our thoughts and wishing death upon them. We could easily do that. And it's a very natural human reaction. It's what I've had to identify. Wow, I'm doing this oh, this is part of the agenda. And that was a huge surprise to me to realize that was a part of the agenda to, to create me into controlled opposition. Hmm. Because think about it. What is controlled opposition? It's it, you're opposing something, but you're controlled, meaning you're, who you are has been shaped by the things that I have done to you. And so you are now capable and wanting to do things that you wouldn't have wanted to do if I had not perpetrated these things against you. So I've controlled you with my actions. But on the other hand, you have the ability to say, God, I am your child and I'll do and be who you want me to be. And I'll respond to circumstances the way you call me to respond to circumstances. I will not be just stimulated by something and make reactions based on revenge or trying to settle a score in, in my concept of justice, which is not actually a godly justice. So these are, this is like a higher evolved state. And I believe it's essential. And here's why, because, okay. So one of the other things that we probably want to end up talking about at some point is what I was sharing with the department of justice in 2012, they show potential weapons from the sea and they talk about conotoxins and that the, the way to, the treatments for conotoxins is respiratory support and intubation. It talks about all the types of injuries from cerebral edema to uh, 
the, the whole list, certainly respiratory arrest and the whole list of symptoms that you see in VAERS, basically you see them all coming up in different forms. And then it says the most likely form of conotoxin uh, being used as a bioweapon would be uh, contaminated food in populate, high population areas. But then it says the most likely method of dispersal of conotoxins would be through an aerosol. Really? Yes. I was going to ask about this, about that being a possibility. And I can show this. This is just from the Department of Justice website. We can just pull it up. Oh, if you have it. Oh, if you, you can screen share or you can yeah. send it to me and I can, I can, you can throw it in the chat. We have a little and, private chat here. Cool. And then the thing that will like link this together with what we're talking about here. Can you see my screen? Yeah, let me just pull it. Just to let the world know, conotoxins are more lethal than King Cobra venom, snail venom. No way. Snails win the gold, eh? Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, they're marine snails. They're in the ocean. They kill fish, but they also kill mammals (laughs) with the same venom. Yeah, because you think about how small this little creature is and how he's going to he's got a harpoon. You might want to put that screen sharing little thing there and hide it. Maybe I, I can't. I don't know why my screen doesn't let me do that. But, oh, yeah. It'll, it'll well, um, so here, if you, you can see my screen, right? Yeah, we can see it. Yeah. Yeah. So my point in bringing this up is what I'm trying to explain to people is the technology and power to do to basically take us all out exists. It's there. I'm saying that they could pull the trigger. We already knew know that with nuclear warfare. There's a big question we have to all ask ourselves. Why haven't they just pressed the detonate button? Why do they have to get us to line up and take our vaccines like good little boys and girls and dob each other in and our friends and family and pressure each other? And why, why does it have to happen that way when these things can be just released airborne? Uh, or, you know, they could go into nuclear warfare. So there's there's a spiritual component of what gives permission and opens up the pathway to these types of things that I think is just incredible and fascinating to consider. Uh, so I'll show this and we can you can kind of, we can come back to that point. Uh, so I'm basically saying just don't we, we cannot afford to give in to the darkness and we have to get off all all the vaccines they're trying to put us on. There's a vaccine they're trying to inject into us There's a vaccine of the mind. You don't think that you're getting vaccinated when you're watching films that have all these incredibly debased themes in them. You don't think that you're getting vaccinated in your your brain and your heart, your soul is being completely contaminated, right? Right. Yeah. It's a battle of mind, body, soul, the whole thing. That, that's how they would have to do it. You got so- it. So show them this. Uh, yeah, this yeah. So potentials from the sea, conotoxins, bioterrorism and defense. So look at this department. 2012. Yep. And, you know, Peter Anderson here. Cone snails, a predatory marine animal that kill their prey with powerful venom. Okay. So and then have a look at how they break this down for us. Okay. So just. So. Most venomous animals, snakes, and anthropods only produce one or a few poisons. A single cone snail produces over 100 individual toxins. But not all conotoxins are considered high risk for bioterrorism. Okay, now say that another way. Some conotoxins are considered high risk for bioterrorism. <laughs> so they're admitting it in a very sleight of hand kind of way, right? Oh, yeah, it's a great exactly. ingredient for some bioterrorism. Like, they are. 
They are, but they will say it even more directly here so we don't have to hypothesize, which is amazing. Signs and symptoms of wow. exposure include faintness, ptosis, poor coordination, absent gag reflex, areflexia, and uh, urinary retention, blurred vision, speech difficulties, weakness, nausea, general numbness, and respiratory arrest. Okay, and autopsies, autopsy findings may include blanching and swelling at the injection site, um, petechial hemorrhages, cardiac dilation, and cerebral edema, swelling. No specific antidotes are available. Uh, the treatment for a cone snail sting is respiratory support and intubation. Sounds like COVID. Yeah, it, it exactly. completely does. Vital signs, blood gases, and cardiac function need to be monitored. Death and reported to occur within one to five hours. So this quick time period between the, you know, the first 48 hours being responsible for over 50% of the 27,000 deaths that have been reported. The above uh, toxidrome results are uh, from the interaction of the number of conotoxins rather than a single conotoxin. So you know, the more conotoxins, uh, you know, the more problematic. Um, conotoxins have potential as biological weapons. Okay. <laughs> Wow. The direct chemical synthesis would be more likely found in a clandestine laboratory than the farming of cone snails. <laughs> They're a telling clandestine you. lab. Uh, <laughs> clandestine means secret, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's telling you why the article that Dr. Artis has been showing, the Italy study that was released in October of last year, it says toxin-like peptides almost identical to venoms. So why would it be toxin-like peptides almost identical? Because it's not the actual venom. It's a replica. It's lab-made. So that actually is the greatest indictment sharing with us that these people, it, this wouldn't even indicate if they had have got stung by these 36 different types of venoms, the 20 snakes and the 15, 16 different uh, snails and starfish. They actually have the replica. So they they would have had to be in a laboratory and accidentally jabbed themselves. So none of these people would have been in such random scenarios. Uh, collecting a large enough supply from cone snails to use in aerosol dispersal would be a cumbersome process. Most conotoxins are small peptides with 10 to 30 amino acids, which make them relatively easy to manufacture using direct chemical synthesis. So basically, so this is what I was thinking. Um, the the when I was speaking to a friend of mine about this and they were having their sort of knee-jerk reaction, the first thing they came up with was, do you think they're just milking a bunch of snakes and then just like <laughs> making a big vat of of combination and then taking it just like in like Batman Begins or something and mm -hmm. then dumping it into the water supplies? You know, that is that that's the that's the image that I think people have when they think, watch the water, they're putting it in the water. They're like there's just a direct, let's throw a bunch of snake venom in there. It's a It's actually sort of a homeopathic method of, of reducing it down, taking the peptide. There's a whole process, I think, that people are missing. Dr. Artis, what do you think? Mm -hmm. How do you explain that better? <laughs> yeah, so I think the, uh, the CIA's heart attack gun is a great way of explaining this. They actually took peptides, these little bitty sequences of amino acids inside of venom of shellfish, picture the cone snail, and king cobra venom. They just took these little parts of them, isolated them, and put them together in ice and shot it inside of somebody. And those two venom peptides only stop the heart from beating. That's all they target. There's other stuff in the collection of the venom sample from a snake or a conotoxin where it will shut down multiple organs, cause liver failure. 
but they have scientifically been able to, in research labs, clandestine labs, figured out how to isolate individual components of venoms that target specific organs and then mass manufacture them called synthetic venom peptides. And they've learned how to isolate them, mass manufacture them, and then use them either as drugs that you're swallowing every day or weaponize them. Maybe they're dumping that into your water. Maybe they're putting that on a virus that you're breathing in in a respiration manner. I will tell you, anybody who's actually watched my documentary series, talked about the venom aspect, they'll, they'll go like this. I, I don't know if I buy the water part, but for sure the symptoms are venom. So if right. it's weaponized to a virus, if it's in the air, it doesn't matter. Look, you got three ways if you're wanting to poison or make sick the entire world. You got three things every human being does every day. They eat food, drink water, and drink air. They are poisoning you in any of these three manners, all of you. It's either in the air, food, or water. I actually just thought it was in the water. You want to know how simple it was? The CDC's looking in your water for SARS-CoV-2, the gain-of-function testing virus, supposedly. They're looking in the water, and then they're telling you in your wastewater that predicts a future respiratory outbreak in your town. And that doesn't make any logical sense to me whatsoever. And I don't trust the CDC. I tell them to stay away from my water. I reverse osmosis filter my own water. Why? Because I don't like the fluoride toxin they put in there. I don't mm. like the chlorine toxin they put in there. They're already putting toxic stuff in your water. I don't like them messing with my water. And that Kono toxin he just brought up that could be used as a bioterrorism, even aerosolized is what it reads on the Department of Justice's website. In the actual Italy study, they found 15 different Kono toxins from snails, alpha conotoxins, from California conotoxins, you name it. There's 15 of them, conotoxins. They can make these in laboratories around the world, people. They've been doing it since 1989 in a factory, clandestine secret labs. They call those biological weapons labs. You know, the ones like Russia's trying to destroy in the Ukraine, supposedly. You know, you know those. You know, the ones like Ralph Barrick at the UNC Chapel Wuhan lab. You know those? Yeah, there's like 300 of them around the world. That's what they develop in these labs. And 300 that are funded by the Department of Defense, right? Like the government? Oh, Is yeah. that how it works? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Department of Defense, our NIH, the Echo Health Alliance, they're all funding, funneling hundreds of millions of dollars into gain-of-function testing. The weapons that Jonathan was mentioning earlier, that the CIA had a third of all conotoxins, which are lethal, that are found in COVID-19 patients and not in negative COVID-19 tested patients. Those conotoxins were found, a third of all of them, at Fort Detrick. Hmm. That's where they found them. Fort Detrick. Judy Mikovits yeah. uh, and Dr. David Martin talk a lot about that. Exactly. Yep. That's where. That's, and that's where that's where Eric Olson was working. The guy that the scientist was working for the MK Ultra program that got killed, flown out of a window. Oh right, he was there. Oh my God. Well, look Fort at this. Dietrich. You, you brought this up, uh, Brian, and um, my friend Michael Tessarian. So this is this company, Orpheix, which I want people to go check out, uh, orpheix.com. I just go into the funding and collaboration page. There it is right there, Department of Defense. Welcome, welcome the Welcome Trust, Trust. And then the World Health Organization, which I don't know, is that there's a little bit of a symbolic thing here going on. I don't know. Well, look at Ophirix's um, <laughs> logo at the bottom. Look at their, look yeah. at the O. It's the same O with a snake. Oh. My Zoom Ophirix. is all messed up. There it is, Ophirix. 
And this actually, um, this welcome trust got my friend Michael Tessarian interested because he had stuff in his slides uh, back in the 90s talking about this, um, just the corruption and some of the connections that he had made back then. And so when he saw this right away, he's like, okay, if these guys are involved, there's something going on. And then, of course, yeah, you got your government and then you've got your World Health Organization, which wants to be the world government after announcing that they basically want to have a charter in place that will bypass all the constitutions and national sovereignty in the world. And they basically want to have the power of this pandemic to be ongoing, whether there's a pandemic or not. So if people trust these people with their lives. I would caution you on that. Uh, if you want to know what the end game is with envenomating the entire world with venoms, from snails and snakes called COVID-19 and then vaccinating you all. All you have to do is study the company Ophirix, which you just saw, O-P-H-I-R-E-X.com. Go to their website. That company has having $100 million invested over the next seven years to come up with an oral anti-venom pill <laughs> that's actually being tested right now to beat COVID-19 symptoms. It's on their website. So it's an anti-venom pill to combat COVID-19. COVID Why would an anti-venom pill work if it's a respiratory virus? Yeah, yeah. click on the development tab on Ophirix's homepage and click the name starts with a V, their drug. It's like Veraspolipid. Click it. And when it opens, scroll down to the bottom of the page. It talks about the third phase trial. It's called stairs. Go up. Yeah, right here. COVID, is he responding to the COVID-19? Nope, go up. Oh, uh, no, no. where did I go? Where did I go? No, go down, there go down. down. Sorry, go down, down, down. Go there, there. right there. Okay. There it is. So this is the STAIRS trial. This is a result of responding to COVID-19. They're using their anti-venom pill to combat acute respiratory distress syndrome, a primary cause of death in COVID-19 patients. Why would their anti-venom oral pill be so successful in their first two phases of trials against COVID-19 unless there was a venom component. This company only makes an anti-venom drug, period. Hmm. Wow. And this is why, where- why would the World Health Organization, our Department of Defense, and the Welcome Trust Fund be funneling $100 million over the next seven years to come up with an anti-venom pill to fix COVID? Why, why would you do that? You want to know why? This is why. You ready? We showed this last time. This is why. This is why they're all investing money in an anti-venom pill. This is why. <laughs> Remember, snake, snake bites, bites and COVID-19. COVID-19. It's two crises at once that have the same research and development opportunity. Why? Because snake bites and COVID-19 have the exact same thing in common. Venom. That's the only thing they have in common. Wow. And these are, and as the British Medical Journal says, these are two global crises occurring at the same time during the pandemic: snake bites and COVID nineteen. I thought it came from bats. I thought it was bats are attacking and COVID nineteen is occurring at the same time. No, it's snake bites and COVID nineteen. Do you want to know why? Because <laughs> it's snake, snake venom, people. It's venom. They're the same person. The same <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> Don't be afraid to look. Don't be afraid to look. Jeez. Remember, this is two years later. I've said this nonstop. Jonathan Otto has my back. 
I believe the greatest of God's creation is your physical frame, your natural God-given body. It has been far superior at surviving this gain of function, hundreds of millions of dollars of a weapon or pathogen or venom that's been released on the planet worldwide. It doesn't matter what it is. God's creation beat it 99% of the time. That means the return on investment of the hundreds of millions of dollars to create this deadly weapon, it sucked compared to God's created body. Trust in your natural immunity. Don't buy into the fact that they create something in a lab called a vaccine. They need to inject inside your body to make God's creation better. That's never been true. He, he won the first time. Just put your faith in that. And please do not participate in the experimental venom project going on around the world right now. I agree. And I'm glad you brought it up. The This is where it all boils down. And I guess this kind of brings some of the questions to mind as I'm thinking about this. I got whatever this was. I got these symptoms twice during this two-year period. I got it once in February of 2020. I caught it, I believe, somehow. Well, maybe I had the wrong shake or something. Who knows? Um, I was going. I was doing a lot of traveling at that time from BC to LA. And then I came back, I was getting the symptoms, then my wife got it, then my kids had it for like 24 hours, just like a little fever, and then they were good. And then I was kind of laid up for about a week, although we just did natural stuff. You know, I did the old uh, eucalyptus steam bowl and vitamin C, D, zinc, all that good stuff, lots of rest. Um, and then I was healthy as a horse after that. I almost felt like I got a big boost somehow, you know? And then I got around the time of the trucker convoy in Canada, I got what they were calling the Delta variant or the Omicron. I don't know what Cron or Delta Cron it was, but it was something. And it was another thing that hit me in a very unique way. And I remember the feeling of it was, you know, I've had these sort of flus and colds, whatever they are before. And um, I usually beat them within 30, 24, 48 to 36 hours. And then this one was, it felt foreign. It felt different. Um, and, but again, I recovered from it. So I'm thinking, okay, if I got envenomated, and then I recovered from it. Is there a way that I could have passed it on to somebody rather than just it was coincidentally that myself, my family and in my whole neighborhood all drank the same water, I guess, at the exact same time and ended up with the same symptoms? Or is there any kind of viral rest, viral spread to it? Like, can I spread it through my bodily secret, like is the, what do you think about that idea of just maybe what people are seeing? They're, they think, oh, I, I got it, then I passed it to them, and then they passed it to somebody. Are we passing it amongst ourselves, or is it just because we're all in the same environment that's contaminated with these snake peptides? Yeah, so the majority of people who even talk about the snake venom aspect of this are going to actually say, and that's okay, they, they all do agree on the venom part but that it was tied to a respiratory virus. So there's a way of spreading right. it that way, right? So you're inhaling it, you're going to make mucus and pus and your lungs are going to eject it through coughing, sneezing, hacking, sweating. People are going to touch you. You're going to get the same infection. Okay. Viral that has spike proteins of a venom on it. Um, I don't actually see it that way and that's okay. I actually think you're all just drinking the same water and based on your health, your own personal health, your symptoms are going to show up faster or shorter than others, mm -hmm. faster or longer. For example, children, if it is you're drinking these peptides from snake venoms and you get in your body, children have much higher levels of melatonin hormone than you do as an adult. So they're going to actually get it just slightly later than you did. And it will look like you infected them when in fact you didn't. Their melatonin has kept their symptoms at bay longer. And then if they develop any symptoms, they will be less symptoms, less severe. 
as their body eliminates it. And the majority of your symptoms from an illness are actually caused by your immune system getting rid of the pathogen or the poison or the venom, whatever it is. Your body's going to create body sweats and chills to sweat out the infection or poison. You're going to get diarrhea to eliminate it. You're going to get urinary tract infection symptoms or you're going to cough it out. These symptoms are your body's ability, God created, natural immunity, to reject or shed the poisons as a vector. Now, could those shedding potentials, sweating, coughing, sneezing, are these ways you could be shedding anything to someone in your household? Absolutely. They could be sharing the same air. You could be touching the sweat uh, and you could actually share it that way. That was actually in the Pfizer trials for the vaccines, which is odd to think that the vaccine could be contagious. But they said if you get the injection and you're in a room with a pregnant woman who was not getting the injections, just by breathing the same air or her touching your skin was life-threatening to the baby and the pregnancy or the woman. So there is some aspect of what looks like to be contagion, but I actually think it's just the body's natural ability of shedding toxins and pathogens. That was what made sense about, like, because I remember the reports how children had a higher instance of death or prolonged illness from the flu than they did from COVID, which was weird because you're thinking if this is a brand new novel respiratory virus that children have never seen before, how are they handling it so well? Like children, it's basically negligible. This is what uh, Peter McCullough was bringing out and many others. Yeah. And um, that was an odd thing to me that I would be like, weird how this is like said to be the first virus of its kind, earth shattering, worse than the Spanish flu. Uh, and then yet the children are fine mostly, you know? And so that was interesting. And then I guess, where was I going to go with that? Cause that's interesting. I was thinking about, yeah, there could be some way of spreading it. It could be, we're all being saturated with this. Oh, immunity. So if the, the old knowledge would be, if I catch the flu and I deal with it, my body recognizes it. I'm not going to get that same flu again. If I get a flu, it's going to be some other thing or Again, I agree with you. The symptoms of flu are really just you detoxifying that. Hey, and Dr. Andrew Kaufman would probably agree with you on that. Um, and then you have, but then can you get, can you become immune to venom? <laughs> Supposedly people do. I've never tried it. Supposedly some people like to either drink venom or have little snakes bite them all the time occasionally to try to build up an immunity to venom. I'm just going to tell you, if you are one of those people that believes in viruses, respiratory viruses like coronaviruses, which are called common cold viruses, even when people were talking about the fact that if people get early variants of COVID-19 and then could they get it again later, even Dr. McCullough was saying early on that uh, if you got it once, you won't get it again. And then he changed his tune with the Joe Rogan interview and said, actually, uh, people who got alpha got delta, you know, so I guess you can get it a second time. I'm just going to tell you, I never, ever agreed with that. I never said, yes, I agree with that because how many people do you know have gotten a common cold before <laughs> and then years later got another one? It wasn't deadly to them. You just got it again. It's okay. They they either mutate or change or they don't exist per Kaufman. I don't know. And we're just making it up. I don't know. Or it's just a vitamin D deficiency like Dr. Ryan Cole says, and it's just an immune system reaction to being deficient in immunity, nutrients. Either way, if you got bit by a snake <laughs> in 2020 – and you got sick and you had a disease process and you recovered, do you really think getting bit by another snake two years later, you're not going to feel similar symptoms? I am not the snake expert, but I bet if you got envenomation twice, guarantee you, you'd probably feel it 
again. I'm, I don't know too many people who are immune to snake bites. I just don't know. Right. And I guess that's where I sit there and I go, well, if let's just say my local water has been contaminated with, and then let's also remember there's a difference between getting bitten by a snake and getting the entire property of the snake venom and that process through that method and having weaponized snake peptides that have been isolated to do certain things. And who knows what kind of weird stuff they've done. So we do have to understand there is a difference. Um, but then the next oh, there thing is I a difference. Thinking, Can I elaborate on that? Sure. Please do. Please do. There is a difference. The peptides that we learned from Jonathan Otto in the CIA heart attack gun, they actually just took individual components of venom from shellfish and king cobra venom that just stopped the heart. That was it. They didn't touch anything else. And it was undetectable by autopsy back in the 70s. Right now, they have isolated components of venoms. I have examples of 36 of them, snakes and marine shellfish venoms that specifically target the pancreas of diabetics. They are targeting diabetics. They're physically trying to kill diabetics. 100%, there's no doubt, that's the number one target with this, either in the air, water, and the vaccines. They're targeting diabetics. Top ones in this country, in America, are Native Americans and Eskimos. Same for your country, by the way. And then Blacks and Hispanics, they're targeting you because you're the highest percentage of races that are diabetic. And right now in America, there's 100 million pre-diabetics and diagnosed diabetics. That's a third of our population that they're targeting. Yes, this is who they're targeting. They know how to do it. If they knew back in the 70s, 50 years ago, how to target just the heart organ with aspects of venoms, you don't think they know how to target diabetics? Uh, they do. In 2015, I love sharing this because this gets people to understand why everybody's not affected the same. They took, they took albino rats and separated them into two groups. I, I go through this with Mike Adams's interview. And they took a drug and they injected half of the rats with it. And that drug killed cells of the pancreas to make them diabetics. Within 24 hours, they were diabetic rats. Totally healthy before, they gave them a shot. Picture childhood vaccines. Gave them a shot, turned them into diabetics. And then they left the other half of the albino rats totally healthy and fine. And then they took a sub-lethal dose of crude, we mean raw, king cobra venom. A sub-lethal dose, that means it doesn't kill them, dose of just raw king cobra venom, and they injected the same amount into every rat, the diabetic-induced rats and the healthy rats. Nothing happened to the healthy rats. None of them died. Some of them got sick, and then they all fully recovered a few days later, but none of them died. But the diabetic rats, within one hour, their insulin shot up above way normal levels, and then their glucose dropped to zero, and then their body tried to autocorrect by shutting off the insulin release, and then their glucose went out the roof. And within a two-hour period, these diabetic rats went into respiratory failure, uh, diabetic shock, heart yeah. attacks, strokes. That's what happened to the diabetic rats with a sublethal dose of venom. I have said nonstop. It doesn't matter if it's in the air or in the water. It's a sublethal dose. It impacts those who have pre-existing conditions the most uh, and those who have genetic predispositions to anything. Uh, 
But I just want or you to vitamin, know, they're not targeting everybody the same. Yeah. They're not going to kill everybody at once. That's too obvious. Right. So they're going to target individual people. Then go like this at the end of 2020, like the CDC did. Um, 94% of everyone who died in the United States from COVID-19 had pre-existing conditions. Only 6%, we can say, just died from COVID. But they mm-hmm. call them all COVID-19 deaths, which is pathetic. They actually yeah. are targeting diabetics and heart failure patients, kidney failure patients, lung failure patients, and neurologically diseased patients with these venom peptides. 36 of them that can be weaponized as bioterrorism per the Department of Justice, thanks to Jonathan Otto and his great research team. That's incredible. And I guess that would explain my next question, which was if it's in the air, water or whatever, and I'm in that environment, I'm not getting sick of venomation every single time I have water, although I do reverse osmosis water myself. But, you know, who knows? Maybe I was at an airport and I just drank a a glass of tap water or a restaurant or I got a a shake or something like you never know, right, where you got it. I mean, think about what they're spraying. I was thinking about this, too, even the grocery stores. You go to the vegetable sections and what are they doing every 20 minutes or whatever? They're misting all the vegetables to keep them fresh. Where's their water supply connected to? Where's the water supply connected to on people's farms when they're watering crops or their sprinklers on their front lawn? Or when you really start going with this, it's not even just whether you're taking tap water and drinking it. It could your shower, you know, absorbing it through the skin. You're washing your face every day. But I guess then I would go, well, if I'm exposed in some way to this venom and I'm not getting sick all the time again and again, like as if I was getting bitten every day, um, that is because of this idea of the sublethal dose, the fact that it isn't just raw venom and the fact that they're designed to target essentially in a eugenic style fashion. Oh, it is. What they consider the weak, which they also helped create through <laughs> contaminating the food supply and, and jacking the sugar intakes and all that. And, lit- and then the vaccination schedules to, to create this uh, health crisis that you're talking about, the chronic disease. Yeah, that's one thing I like about Jonathan Otto. He'll touch on this uh, human sacrifice part of the occult, these evil people. It's like they'll just they just select who they believe are inferior human beings and take them out. Well, eugenics-wise in this COVID pandemic, it has been target the elderly with a drug called remdesivir that has side effects almost identical to cobra toxin, and then target those people through air, water, or food, however they're doing COVID-19 infection spreading, and then target them with vaccines, those that are diabetics, neurologically challenged, uh, cardiovascularly challenged, and kidney challenged. That's that's who they're targeting. And uh, it's just a continued human sacrifice, right, Jonathan? He knows. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think that it's very interesting to to consider that the, the core of this, having this issue with the sacrificial uh, concept and that this uh, urging that we've all had to, to push others into this. People have to understand some of the, some of the underpinnings of even uh, modern science. One of the, what, who would be known as the greatest thought leader of modern science or, or the, the underpinnings of the thought, you know, the, the mechanism behind our, how we see the world in science, I, I suppose it would be Charles Darwin. Right. And he was, he was a genocidist himself. He, he had the entire, population of aboriginals in tasmania and australia genocide every single one there's none left there's no tasmanian um aboriginal people because of his uh, because of his work there and he said it was a necessary you know it was necessary it was cruel but it was necessary and 
what what was it necessary for? What was what was so necessary? Which is which is fascinating because you even when you read that he had said these things and these were written about him and his words, it's almost as though it was something that had to happen. And well, according to who? And then you see that he was part of the secret societies. You see them with the hidden hand. He was a thirty-three degree Freemason. And then you realize that well, up you know the the top three levels the it's direct Luciferian worship according to Albert Pike, who there's a memorial for in DC. And he, he says that that is where you are completely revealed that you are worshiping Lucifer. And then you look at that historically. And basically the issue with the worshiping of spirits, wicked spirits, Luciferian cults was always through millennia, thousands of years was always that it would result in human sacrifices. But, um, but what Brian talked about before was, you know, Dr. Artis was sharing the fact that, what about the fact that we all are very aware that we have screwed up in life? A lot of people, we are so good at projecting this onto others. We actually think we're so good and everyone is so bad, which is the perfect sacrifice. And it's easy for people like us, quote unquote, let's just, I'm just lump us in his little, little box for a second, but people that are more alert to these things that we have seen the evil of others and it aggravates us so much. It's so detestable injecting babies and it provokes this in us to feel that we're better than them. And, and you'd be like, of course I'm better than them. Uh, but, um, but I'm just saying like, if you understand your own psychology well enough to realize you're projecting onto them all your sins and that you're offering them up as a scapegoat to say, God, take them instead of me at least I'm um, not like this terrible sinner, which is what the Pharisees did in the temple. They'd take someone that was worse than them and say, at least I'm not like these tax collectors, which were very corrupted individuals. And, and then say, well, now I feel okay. And so, you know, one, I'm talking about societies through history, trading off their people. Why are people okay with Vayas having 27,000 deaths up to 450,000 deaths to, from people like Dr. Peter McCullough? Well, it's because there must be a sacrifice for the greater good. And you don't well, realize that's what it. you hear them say, actually. There you go. There you go. That's a religious point of view. And mm -hmm. so then you realize that it's a religious view. It's not just cultish, which it is, and, and occultic, which it is, and satanic, which it is. It's also just natural to human nature to find something that needs punishment. An example of that would be the fact that at the crucifixion of Christ, people were chanting, saying these words, we have a law and by this law, this man ought to die. So it was the law of man that dictated that an innocent man would have to be sacrificed and the trials made no sense. It was a lying, it was lying witnesses confused against each other. But uh, Caiaphas, the high priest had said, it's better than that this one man perish, save the whole it's better that this one man die, save the whole nation perish. So let's offer one for the sake of the many. And and in this is through so many. Sorry to jump in, you jump, but you're making yeah, me think yeah, here about this is all. This is in a lot of cultures around the world. Actually, that's what's really interesting is sort of the universality of this idea mm -hmm. of sacrifice. I mean, the, you brought the Roman Colosseum. What was that other than sacrificing slaves for the entertainment and the you know sedation of the masses? Or even in the in the show Vikings, you know they they. I, I couldn't stop keep watching it, even though I love the whole Viking thing. And I love a lot of the, it, it got so, there were so many scenes of ritual sacrifice of wow. one guy volunteering to go up and get sacrificed and have his blood go into the altar for the tribe. Um, this is, you see this in the indigenous tribes. You see this 
you know, all over the world. And you start to wonder, what is all this stuff with this sacrifice? Um, I did a section in chapter four of my documentary series, Cult of the Medics, on human sacrifice. And it, it was a hard thing to, to put out there because I tried to be delicate with it and not make it too graphic, but still relay the information to people that when you start to think that here we are all civilized after the Industrial Revolution or the Scientific Revolution or whatever, um, that we lost our more primitive barbaric ways, I, it's not true. It's just become more sophisticated. And it, there's a whole history from every culture on the earth of this culture of sacrifice for the exact same thing. And then when you look at this, even this discussion of uh, in the geopolitical or social setting where you've got these voices trying to tell people, raise the kids with communistic, uh, collectivistic thinking of, you know, there is no individual. You don't have free will. Um, we are just this one body of people. And even though there's elements of truth to that, the lie is in that you are now a sacrificial animal on the altar of that collective group. And that is what the whole, uh, all the lockdowns things were, was we have to violate your fundamental human rights for the betterment of everybody else. You have to be forced to cover your breathing holes for the betterment of it. You have to get the vaccine. It, this, it became part of the culture. So for people to sit back and think that this isn't a mass ritual, I mean, I just got news for you. You just broke it down beautifully, Jonathan. It's ubiquitous all over the ancient world. Mm, yep, you got it. You got it. So it's, you know, it, it's good to, to learn this and then opt out. And it's yeah, interesting. It, you, what, what has been fascinating to me, the more I've known about the occult and the evil and the truth of what's going on, I actually have still found myself powerless to escape from it. One of the examples being, you know, I was thinking, look, I've researched a lot of these Hollywood actors and what they're up to and, and, and even what this theme is in this movie, but why am I still attracted to it and addicted to it and wanting mm -hmm. to be entertained by it. I'm like, what is happening? How do, how can I stop this? <laughs> and then just being like, well, yeah, I just want to know these things. And so I don't really need to stop this. I don't want to stop this. I just am happy to know about things. It's very fascinating, whatever. But like, I, but then I can feel my soul getting corrupted. I was like, this is an issue. And then I feel myself uh, not, not feeling happy or feeling like this state of uh, apathy. And I'm, I'm thinking, what have I been filling my mind with? So the thing that has actually worked for me that has made me then in control and doing what I love and, and, and actually unplugged me from addictive, like violent media, anything like that. I just pornography, even pornography, which is fascinating. Like I didn't realize that there would ever be a time when I would, my, my heart would just be turned off from that where I just like, I don't need that. That's not really, that's not me. Or, or I'm just not drawn to that. I, I love my wife and I, I, I want to have meaningful experiences with her and this is not meaningful and I can tell it's not. But there was a long time in my life where I just could not stop the, um, the, um, the desire, even if I would stop, stop the action, the desire or the interest in such things was there. And it was to me, it was all discovering the love of God. And I don't have any other way for people to really escape the, the spiritual web of these, this darkness and it's the sacrificial co concept and this, this, this issue to me. I have not been able to find any other remedy. And to me, it was understanding God in a whole new way. It was about deconstructing all the negative attributes I perceived in God, all the, issue, all the things I saw of, of how I understood God as a judge. I didn't realize that subconsciously I'd seen God as an executioner. 
certainly uh, in opposition to him being a tender father over my life and actually caring about me and being, uh, seeing me and valuing me re regardless of my actions, but just deeply loving me. And that was what pulled me out of uh, all the kind of vices or addictive behaviors that was there and saved my marriage. And so I'm really grateful for all these things. I wouldn't be able to do this work if I really was in the throes of, of that, the natural way that my inclination was towards addictive behaviors. And, and so I feel super grateful for that. So I always want to kind of give props to God for his, what he does and the power and the beauty of, of what is in the Bible and how these are powerful tools that can help people in these times. Well, that's, I'm, thank you for sharing that. And it's interesting. And regardless of any perspective, somebody comes on this, what you're sharing is really important to look at, which is that by learning about the world, by studying the nature of good and evil, you're actually learning about yourself. And mm -hmm. that's what this whole practice really is. You know, Bruce Lee, one of my faves would, would say, you know, all knowledge is ultimately self-knowledge. Um, and, you know, the way he was defining what the self was would have been very similar to the Christian perspective of that kingdom of heaven within that voice of God within. And when you can, when you can, when things lead you to communicate with that and activate that um, it's, it's, you can change your life. That's where you can have more power over your life and that's where freedom lives. Um, but it's weird how we sometimes as humans need the incentive to do it. And the incentive can come from facing great challenge or great evil. And I feel like humanity right now is facing this. It's like that Lord of the Rings, you know, we're at the battle of the black gates. You know, I use this analogy. We're at that final battle of dropping this ring off into Mordor and exposing evil and hopefully making progress. And, um, but it's not just about saving the world, is it? We all want to mm -hmm. help each other, but how can you save the world if you haven't saved yourself from it? If you, and if you, and if you haven't done the process you're talking about, which is to look at these external events, you know, here we are talking about them poisoning us with snake venom. And, and whatever else um, that could turn people into that could literally melt somebody's psychology down and go, I don't want to hear it's too traumatic. But what you've done is turn that into a positive tool to motivate you to not just seek the answers out about what we're talking about here and learn the truth, but to learn that inner truth, which is what mm. really speaks to me, because that's what this is all about. Yeah. Um, Dr. Artist, uh, any comments on that? And then I had one more question for you. I want to respect your guys time. You're welcome to stay as long as you want. But I wanted to ask you about remdesivir. If you could talk a little bit about that, because something you had said that really kind of blew my head back was that you think that remdesivir itself is actually just snake venom and oh, they found a way. So have you had anybody do any more testing or validation for you on that? Or what can you share about that whole saga of remdesivir? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So for the last four months, four and a half months now of doing this research, I actually reached out to multiple medical doctors like Peter McCullough and others to help get me Moderna, Pfizer shots, get me remdesivir samples. Uh, even Dr. Richard Bartlett, I, I called him and asked him to get me remdesivir since he works at a hospital, see if he could get it for me. And he said, Doc, I'm really sorry. I'm trying. Like every week he'd tell me I'm trying. They must have it under lock or key or they're treating it like gold. I don't know how to get this thing out of here. They won't let me take it. And uh, so... Remdesivir, I just will tell you, when I was reading and studying up on King Cobra Venom, Genentech, which is a company I talked about here when I called Dr. David Martin about it, I was like, tell me about this Genentech company. Genentech published a study uh, January of 2020. It's called the Indian King Cobra Genome Project. They mapped out all of the toxins in King Cobra Venom for multiple years, and they defined that there's 19 exactly 19 
venom-specific toxins found in the king cobra venom. This is January of 2020, the first month of the pandemic. This gene and tech company, uh, as I'm reading what these 19 venom-specific toxins do in the body of a human, they read just like all the side effects of remdesivir. And, I, and I've been reading everything on remdesivir for two years. There's probably no one. You were like the remdesivir guy, weren't you? You were the guy That's that everybody was. Yeah. yeah, not maybe not anymore. I was called the remdesivir guy for about two years. Now I'm the snake venom theory guy. But remdesivir is what I was focused on 24-7. So when I was reading the side effects of King Cobra Venom, I was like, this reads just like remdesivir. And then I looked at who's funding that ending King Cobra study, and it was Genentech, that company you just showed. And then I wanted to know, is it possible that the company that makes remdesivir, they're called Gilead Sciences. All I did was type in Gilead and Genentech, uh, the company that did the King Cobra Venom study, and asked me if I was shocked to find out that in 2011, Gilead bought two biological facilities from Genentech that makes snake venom-based drugs. They bought two of their biological facilities in 2011, brought with them 55 of their executives into Gilead, and Gilead's the company that makes remdesivir. Uh, no, I didn't find that ironic at all. Uh, there's this side effect of King Cobra venom called increased prothrombin time, which means it makes your blood unable to clot and you will bleed internally. That's what remdesivir's side effect is. That's what King Cobra venom does. And it tells you on the emergency right. use authorization for using this, it says, doctors, you have to check prothrombin time before and during administration. Uh, when you look at the storage description and what it looks like when it comes to the hospital, it comes in little glass vials, remdesivir does, in a little lyophilized freeze-dried powder form that is white to off-yellow color. And then you mix it in sodium chloride, put it in a bag, and inject it inside you. Guess what cobra venom looks like? how it's stored and how you mix it when you go to make antivenom. It's in a little clear jar, white powder, white to yellowish color, hint or hue, and you mix it in sodium chloride and inject it into a horse to make antivenom. It looks identical. Uh, and so I, uh, since pushing the issue here, I just want you to know that last week, FDA approved remdesivir to be the only drug authorized now to treat infants in America for COVID-19 intravenously. Three days worth of this drug. Uh, I have a problem with the FDA pushing this drug as the only solution for COVID-19 when budesonide has been FDA approved safe and effective for preemies for decades. And it's super safe, super effective at saving kids and adults from COVID-19. Why are we injecting remdesivir into babies? And it's the only drug the FDA is authorizing. I'm actually uh, having doctors go down to Guatemala of all places to bring back some remdesivir next month. So we can have it tested in labs here in Texas that can look for snake venom peptides. I'm convinced that's what remdesivir is. If I'm wrong, thank God. If I'm wrong, that drug is designed to do exactly what King Cobra venom does. So it's either analogous to it or it is it. And it's either a synthetic Cobra venom or it is actual Cobra venom. But uh, either way, its actions are identical physiologically in the body as Cobra toxin is which is what the spike protein they said was one of the two snakes identified as the origin source for COVID-19. Isn't that interesting? The same. That's incredible. Well, we already knew. I would knew avoid remdesivir and I would yeah. avoid these shots just like you would a rattlesnake or a king cobra. You would run 
Run from them. Do not sign up to have it injected inside of you. I agree. <laughs> Whatever it is, we've already got the stats to show that it's deadly, and that's just incredible. And the fact that they're coming out and saying, we only want this one. This yeah, was my issue from one. the beginning, that they've gotten rid of so many. Like They basically rewrote science from everything we knew. They redefined what a vaccine was. They redefined what a pandemic was. They've changed everything. They've censored and silenced doctors all over the world for numerous alternative therapies. You know, thinking of people like Zevzlenko and many others, and even the people that are just encouraging um, nutrition. There's all these articles out there trying to debunk and, and, and uh, you know, fact check people that are recommending exercise, nutrition, all the good stuff you should do anyways for a healthy life. Um, right. And they're trying to pigeonhole everybody into two solutions, the vaccine and this remdesivir drug, which if we get into it, look under the hood. We're finding snake peptides. That's incredible. I mean, let, let's, let, let's keep it real simple. So everyone who has headaches around the world, do they all react perfectly and have their headaches removed when they take Advil? No. No. Some people need Tylenol. Some people need Motrin. Some people do better with Imitrex and other drugs. There's a billion drugs offered to actually treat all different people for their different genetic predispositions their environmental factors in their body that lead to their headaches. There has never been a one treatment protocol for one symptom ever until COVID-19. And all of you just need remdesivir or you all need an mRNA injection. Uh, no, that's never been the case. Allow people to practice medicine and to be unique as you are genetically and God created. Uh, you're all unique and let people go back to practicing medicine or nutrition or herbal remedies or homeopathics as they've done for centuries before. Well, agreed. And isn't that the whole point of this uh, great reset, new world order, whatever mm -hmm. they want, is to basically create a one-season world, a, a monoculture. There's no race. There's no gender. There's no this. There's just the state, the the power, the one way to look at everybody. And, and that's erasing the idea of individuality, uniqueness, creativity, free expression, free thought, free speech, all these different things is part of the agenda because I think it's ultimately to dehumanize us and they're looking for, I mean, the way I read it, that when you look at the way that they're talking about this great reset, it's very comparable to, you know, medieval feudalism in many regards. And I've often talked about it as being a sort of technocratic or technotronic, however you want to look at it, feudalism. And so why not build in all those mechanisms to say there is only one solution for everything only one government body that can dictate policy around the world, only one banking system and one currency that's digitized. And I know Dr. Judy Mikovits has some shocking information about even the digital currency with the crypto and some of this technology that they want to put all this stuff inside you. I, I, I'll have to have her explain it, but my friend was sharing some of the slides she was doing. So I'm looking forward to what she's got to say, but it's basically the one ring to rule them all, the one way of doing everything, because that's easier for the, for control purposes uh, to manage resources and people is instead of having diversity that's harder to kind of keep control, you just get everybody into one way of doing everything. So it, it just reminded me when you were describing how they brought everybody into this these one solutions only and nothing else that are actually killing people. Um, it's very similar to the whole mentality of this entire ritual. Uh, with that said, gentlemen, I'll, let's just wrap it up here with uh, some final thoughts. Anything that we missed? Jonathan, let's start with you, man. Uh, sure. Well, maybe one of the things that we missed was in regard to 
how this may be what uh, Dr. Artis talks about with a being a religious war and how the battle over the mind has everything to do with uh, humanity's hold on their beliefs and their ability to be self-governing and sovereign beings under God and then ability of, of great good. They have such ability for great good and, and, and tremendous feats of love and, and kindness and beauty. And so the war appears to be so much centralized around that. And there's films, I talked to um, Dr. Artis about the film, The Tomorrow War that came out of the middle of last year, July with Chris Pratt. And it was, it ended up being a, <clears throat> you know, people being conscripted to fight a future war and he's shooting aliens so they don't come and destroy the world. But then he's told he, because he's a scientist, thankfully, he discovers he can inject them. And if he injects them, then he can sterilize the women and kill them, kill the babies as they're being born. And these, these themes, but then it goes into this religious side, which is strange where when he's being, spoken to by the general, he says to them, every six days, the white spikes crawl back into their nests. We call it the Sabbath, their day of rest. That's when we insert troops. Is that not, it's just bizarre. <laughs> oh yeah. They're telling you all kinds of stuff in those movies. I think. Yeah. But, but who has even been thinking about Sabbath? Sabbath is just, is basically, if you look at it, it's just the, the whole concept is basically a day to remember God. So the people that are remembering God and being very particular about that or want to have that connection with God, they're the ones that we're going to go after or let's go after them on the day that they're worshiping. And historically, if you want to know for what beliefs were most people killed for historically over the last 2000 years, particularly the last 1500 years, by the way, that's between 50 and 150 million deaths, just so you know, uh, they were two, two different beliefs. One was the Trinity and the other one was Sunday, Sunday sacredness in opposition to a, a seventh day Sabbath. Historically, uh, after Constantine merged the empire, then over the next uh, couple hundred years yeah, and, and preceding that, there was in, entire genocides of groups of people that were uh, found it very important to worship God the way that they found that they should uniquely. The importance of this, regardless of anyone's religious, the, the freedom to choose is was all was all a part of this. And this is why the Protestant Reformation, it was all about the liberty of conscience, the freedom to be able to choose what is what is right and what is good. That was really the, the issue at stake. So people should think about this and just consider these undertones and how this could be actually the real play because I do believe we're about to see this shift and it will at some point shift from vaccines, probably go into climate change and and then but the whole emphasis and if you look at the pope's encyclical that obama signed off on a few years ago now it says we have distanced ourselves from god we need to come back to honor god on the sabbath and allow a rest of all people and come and worship and to to celebrate the the holy day of the uh the sunday sabbath and he and obama was uh was signing off on this. And then he even goes as far, the Pope goes as far as say, it's up to us as a people to put pressure on our legislators to make sure that they legislate these as laws. And then you'll find that there are blue laws in this country mandating that we adhere to a national Sunday law. Uh, so there you go.
Look it up. Look up the blue laws. Dr. Artis knows about them. He didn't learn about it from from the same sources as me. We, we independently found these things. Yeah. One day he asked me in an interview, he goes, so where do you think this is all going? And I said, I think one day there's going to be this national Sunday law and they're going to start killing people who are who are worshiping on that on that Sabbath day that they're going to declare. So this is just a this has been a long thing coming and long theme. And Jonathan got very excited about that when I brought that up. He's like, how do you know about Sun national Sunday law? I was like, I think they're going to start murdering people for not worshiping on that day. You watch. That's what they're going to do. You watch. It happened historically, and themes are coming up in movies. That movie risked being classed as anti-Semitic because Jews were killed on days of worship, Sabbaths and Passover and other days of their festivals. So that was a very insensitive and historically uh, cruel uh, insertion into a storyline and and was a very bad idea as a business move unless it was incepting an idea of a future plan that was essential and they so that money is not really the objective anyway. So they'll do what they've got to do to incept and create the reality that they need to create. But people have to realize that if you understand that Tony Fauci is a, a Jesuit uh, and he is celebrated and applauded by the Jesuit order uh, and the Catholic Church, and he, uh, at, you know, Pence went to a Jesuit university. Uh, Joe Biden you know, went to Fordham University. It's a Jesuit university. Yeah. Yeah. You can All see the connections. You can That's see. That's why I named. I, I named the first uh, interview with Dr. Artis, watch the Vatican kind of wow. where it's just to be like, let's go check out what's really going on. I mean, for crying out loud, the whole auditorium is a snake and it's all over the place. And do you know what the word Vatican means, by the way? Go ahead. Vatis is divine. Can is serpent. Divine serpent. Vatican. Oh, wow. And we said, too, it's built on the temples of Mithras. And then I want to get David Martin on to tell me about his experience where they tried to recruit him in the Club of Rome. And he said, yeah, there's some weird Mithraic cult going on with them. And they were the ones to write the whole thing about the population bomb. And they're, I think, a big factor in this. But so many avenues to go down. Uh, really well done, Jonathan. D Dr. Artis, any closing remarks or, or things that you felt you missed you want to throw at us real quick before we wrap it up? Yeah, when it comes to like the evil side of this, I really do wish anybody anywhere would take this same viewpoint that I do. And, and people have actually said to me, you sure are taking this very well. Any kickback I'm getting, anybody trying to slander me. You have to understand, I actually have this view and I do every day. Now, there's this view and this motto, this commandment, you know, to love thy neighbor as thyself. I didn't do this for any other reason. I'm just going to continue to try to treat you as I would hope you would treat me. <laughs> and if we did that, actually had that viewpoint worldwide, this pandemic wouldn't even be happening. We wouldn't be threatening people with their jobs, threatening them to be able to go to school without getting your vaccine or whatever, or being able to travel without a vaccine. That's so ridiculous. Or force your kids to get it or make your grandparents feel guilty that your grandkid is coming around you without being vaccinated. This is horrific. You've been turning families against families, treat each other with love and kindness and respect, and do unto others as you have them do unto you. Love thy neighbor as thyself. If we would just do that, oh my gosh, uh, this whole pandemic would be over. And we wouldn't be doing these things to people, bad talking, slandering people. Uh, as I've said continuously the last three weeks, it doesn't matter what Peter, Pierre Corey says. I still need him. <laughs> I need him in this movement. We need people trying to save lives. Uh, I mean, I do. I, I still need you. Uh, it doesn't matter what people are saying or what you think. Please just know the intention is to try to save lives and make sense out of madness. That's really what I'm trying to do. And uh, the more you look, the more confident you'll be and be able to handle the situations that are in front of you. 
no matter what variant they're going to lie to you about it's coming out, no matter what side effect of these vaccines. And I stand on the side with Jonathan Otto when he says the people who are being injured with these vaccines cannot be forgotten. I mean, they can't. We have to come up with ways to address this issue. There's massive right. amounts of carnage going on right now. Uh, and if we turn a blind eye, like so many people did during the Holocaust and the Jews in those camps, if you're going to turn a blind eye now, how, how in the world can we possibly forget history? It will repeat itself, and you're going to allow people to be just as evil as they were before. Wow. Yeah, I agree, man. This is what it is. It's the whole focus was is we need the truth. Uh, we need to fight for our freedom to maintain our rights to uh, approach these challenges in the way that we see fit. We need medical freedom. We need uh, the bodily autonomy principles brought back that were enshrined in the Nuremberg Code. Um, and we need to work on that, what you're saying, love thy neighbor as yourself. That goal. Yeah, let me tell you, can I say something else? To me, yeah, sure. my, brain, my brain goes like the Holocaust right now. Could you imagine that people were actually witnessing what was going on in the camps, like Auschwitz, and then they went running off to tell their loved ones in the United Kingdom or Poland or Germany, wherever. Could you imagine if they were like this? They're starving the Jews. You should see them. They're all skin and bones is why they're dying. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? that your loved one you're talking to looked at you and went like this. No, that's not what's killing them. They're using chlorine gas in the furnaces. I mean, could you imagine them arguing with you about the way they were killing them? I mean, uh, they yeah. are killing you on all fronts. They're starving you, leaving you out in the cold. They're using furnaces, chlorine gas. They're using all kinds. They're shooting them. Could you imagine people arguing about the weapon of death? This is weird. They are mm. mass killing people. They are finding evidence of using venom to kill people, make them sick. I mean, that's what they're doing. Stop yeah. arguing yeah. about the delivery system. There is mass genocide and eugenics going on around the world. Don't, don't hate the messenger. Why don't you just go look and then see, is there a way of saving these people? And then mm. prosecute those who have used weaponized venoms for decades. To target us. Oh, do you guys think, are we going there? Do you think we're going to get some, like, do you see any positive trends? Are we going to get some of this oh, uh, legal uh, yes. convictions or something, arrests or whatever? Yes, I do. Or they're going to kill me first. It's one of the two. So in the Pfizer shots, Moderna shots, we're going to find out if there's anything related to venom, synthetic venom, snake venom, like we've already seen with Dr. Jane Ruby, Dr. Zandre out of South Africa, that that's what they're seeing in these shots and in the blood of those getting these shots. If it's in there, I don't care if it's an emergency use authorization or not. It's not disclosed on the EUA applications that any snake venom, anything is inside those shots. And then every single one of those people can be prosecuted and thrown in jail. I mean, there should be, there should be something worse yeah. happen to them, but that would be number one. That would just be the start. Cause then we have to get into all the crimes that have been committed here and all the people implicated, the media, the censorship. Oh my God, oh, yeah. this could go on forever. Maybe that's sure. why they're expanding Guantanamo Bay. Who knows? Let's hope. Yeah, sure. Anyways, gentlemen, what an amazing conversation. Thank you so much to both of you, Jonathan, a pleasure to have you on. What a Thank great you, guy. Uh, love to do this again. Dr. Artis, we're going to be in touch. You and I, I'm going to try to do a, just some back to backs, just get Mike, Judy sure. Mike, on here, David Martin, whoever wants, let's get the truth out. Let's get all these angles out. Let's try to find out what we can do to uh, tell people what's really going on, crack this case and save lives and restore freedom again. That's the goal. So thanks to you guys. Thanks to everybody tuning in. If this resonated with you, please help me share this out as far and wide as possible. And we'll catch you all here back on Truth Warrior, Truth Warrior really soon. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. God Cheers. bless you.